This morning we enter the first stages of the tenth and final plague, which will bring Egypt and its Pharaoh to their knees. And our message titled, The Last Chance. Let's pray. Lord, we come today thanking you for your blessings in this life, God. We are uh, we're blessed people. Lord, at the same time, when we are blessed, uh, we are under an assault. We're under an attack. And uh, God, today, as we read in the Scriptures, Father, I pray that you'll reveal to us the truth of what it is that we need to not only understand about you and your nature, but, Lord, also what we need to understand about the fight that we're in and, God, how we can defend and how we can stand for what's right. And, Lord, stand to bring glory to your name. And, Lord, you know that I've prayed and I've studied. And, Lord, I'm asking now, I know you've spoken to me, but I would ask that you would speak through me, that the words that I share would not be mine's, the, mine, my choice, but, Lord, the very ones that you would give me. Speak to us, Lord. We're a needy people, and we need to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter number 11. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. Exodus 11, verses 1 through 10. An interesting thing to take note of here, as we start off here in, elect, in, this, in this Exodus 11, remember in Exodus 10, where we finished up, that actually what was happening, and Moses was confronting Pharaoh, and Pharaoh basically said, look, you need to get out of here, because the next time I see you, if you walk in here, I'm going to kill you, right? And Moses says to him, hey, you are wise in saying this, because you're tr it's true, you're not going to see me again. What we actually know is the fact that Moses is still in the throne room. From that last one to this, to this new passage, we are actually still in the same location. And it says here, as Moses is in the, th in the throne room in front of Pharaoh, and the Lord said unto Moses, yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out of hence altogether. Notice the same use of this word, when. That word is so important, and we've seen it throughout this book of Exodus, the word when. We saw it back in chapter number 3 on Mount Horeb when Jesus, or actually when Moses is actually in front of this burning bush that is, is not consumed in Exodus verses chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And said, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And when he, and, he, and it's in this Bible, the Bible says, And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, God says, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So we see here, God and when he talks about serving him on the mountain, that's going to be in Exodus 31, where he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. So you see, time is irrelevant in this circumstance. God uses this term of when, 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 always speaking of the future because he already knows what's going to happen. God functions outside of time. We try to, rel we try to put this into something that makes sense to us because for us, time functions on a line. God doesn't function in the same way. And there's a, I gave you an analogy in the past, but I'm going to give you that actually. C.S. Lewis wrote this in a book called Mere Christianity. And this is his explanation of kind of help us to visualize how God functions in time. And he writes this. I write, Mary laid down her work, semicolon. Next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who has to live in the imaginary time of my story, there is no interval between putting down the work and hearing the knock. But I, who am Mary's maker, do not live in that imaginary time at all. Between writing the first half of that sentence and the second, I might sit for three hours and think steadily about Mary. The hours I spent in doing so would not appear, appear in Mary's time, the time inside the story, at all. So that's the way it is with God. God functions in a way that we don't function. We think everything just happens like this, and God goes, look, irrelevant. 
irrelevant. So we have to mindset, understand that when God's talking of the future, it makes perfect sense because he already has already seen the future. God's seen everything in the past. This terminology makes sense in the fact that he understands the end and he understands how everything's going to unfold. Okay. So it's one thing it helps us to have assurance of the fact, knowing that this is true for Moses, but guess what? It's true for us as well. It's true for us as well. God already knows how things are going to turn out. And some of us are so worried and so fearful on a day-to-day basis. But you just don't understand. You don't understand. Ah! And we react in the moment. We may not understand. And you're right, I may not understand. But it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> guess what? God understands. He's going, what are you so freaked out about? I already know where this is going to go. I got it taken care of. I'm already looking out for what's best for you. I have a plan and a purpose for everything, everything. Learn to trust me. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 says this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. He says, declaring the end from the beginning. Look, I established the beginning of time and the end of time. And from the ancient times, those things way before anything you possibly remember. And he says, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God says, God says, look, time is not something that I'm worried about because understand it doesn't worry with me. I'm not caught up in the same line that you are. God makes promises, guys, and he always keeps them. As he's talking to Moses, he's saying, when this happens, when this happens, when this happens, and it makes perfect sense, but Moses cannot see it because he's caught up in his personal situation and his timeline. The Lord is letting Moses know that the deliverance he promised is about to happen. After this final plague, Basically, what's going to happen is they're going to be so convinced that you need to leave that they're going to push you out of the country, he says. Verse number two, he says, Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her, of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So Moses receives this from God and he's going, okay, he's, so, he's soaking this in. This is something that's going to happen in the future. He told him this very same thing. Back, way back when he was in Midian, when he was up on Mount Horeb and he's standing in front of that burning bush, In Exodus 3, this is exactly what God said to him in verse 20 through 22. And I will stretch out mine hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Remember, he's speaking in the future. At this point in time, Moses hasn't even surrendered yet. He's just hearing this for the first time back in Exodus 3. And he says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and, after, and, and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. Ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So after all the destruction that has taken place, right? The Egyptian people have lived this destruction. After all of this, they are ready, willing, and able to get these, <laughs> these Israelites out of Egypt. They're going, look, we understand and we see what's going on. We recognize everything that's taken place and we recognize and see the fact that God is more powerful than the gods that we believe in. We can certainly see how the different plagues and this suffering is all part of God's plan, right? He has a purpose and a plan for each thing, for the Moses, for the Israelites, for Pharaoh, and for the Egyptians. Each decision, good or bad, on behalf of either group, has intricately been woven into the plan of God to accomplish His will. This is an important thing we've got to remember in our lives. When we feel like everything's out of control, and we look at the circumstances that we're in, and we go, you just don't know how bad it is. Trust me that God does know how bad it is. 
And as that suffering is taking place, if we'll learn to embrace God and know that he has a purpose for a plan for it, we can take away the emotional aspect of the control that it has over us because it can become overwhelming. We can be consumed in our emotion and lose sight even of what we know to be true. And we can lose sight of our faith because we get caught up here. Remember, your emotions are wonderful pastors, never to be drivers. Romans 27 and 28, Romans 8, 27 and 28. You guys are familiar with these verses. And it says, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. Guess what? That's us. If you're a born-again believer, you are a saint. According to the will of God. God is working on your behalf. In your life, he is intricately working on your behalf. Verse 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That phrase, man. Some of us, we live that every day. We remind ourselves of it every day. If you're dealing with adversity, you may have to go, you know what, I need to write this on my mirror when I woke up in the morning and I walk in my bathroom. Okay, all things work together for good. That's right. Yeah, God, thanks for the reminder. I need it. Go. All things, all things, all things, all things. Has anyone else been through a circumstance where you go, you know what, you, guys, you just got to keep reminding yourself. You're like, man, you know what, God's got a purpose. I don't understand why I'm in this. I can't see anything in this. It's confusion and mess, but I'm just going to trust God. All things, all things, all things. The majority who have lived for any period of time realize that life is not always easy. There is adversity in this life. But guess what? It's a part of life. It's what's designed in it. If somebody says, I've never had any troubles, well, they have not really lived yet. I mean, they must have lived in a bubble because I'm telling you, <laughs> the rest of us have gotten out in the world at all. I mean, just in traffic, you can deal with some adversity. I mean, it's everywhere, right? So God uses good things and bad things for a greater good and for a purpose that is for his glory. Verse 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man, Moses, was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Okay, so when Pharaoh was unwilling to recognize and see the power of God, the Egyptian people see the power of God. They have respect for God. They also, they also respect Moses. So this is the mindset of the people. What we're doing is we're getting a little glimpse. As he's in the throne room, this is a glimpse of what's going on inside of the hearts of the Egyptians. They're getting this mindset of going, look, you know what? Their whole attitude has changed. Through this miraculous change of heart and attitude shift, those that were once their taskmasters now want to bless the Israelites by their willingness to give them of their own possessions. What we will also see is the fact that these slaves who have worked with nothing and not received anything, are going to receive great restitution when they leave. God's going to make sure that he gives them and takes, takes care of them. What's also interesting is the fact that God's actually giving them provisions. Because there's going to be a time when they're in the wilderness where God's going to require them to build a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, there's going to need to be gold, and there's going to need to be silver, and there's going to need to be raiment that this thing's going to be created out of. And what's so neat about this is we see God's inspiring them, saying, look, you're going to give them all these things because I know what I'm going to ask of them. And when I make this request of them, I'm going to already have fitted them and given them what they need. And see, for us, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to hold on to. If God calls you to do something, guess what? He's going to equip you to accomplish it. They're going into the wilderness with nothing as slaves. They will leave with handfuls and handfuls of gold and silver that God will say, one day I'm going to need you to make this into a candlestick. One day I'm going to need you to make this into a bowl to bring worship to me. And see, he always equips as he calls us to do things. He'll equip us to fulfill it. Time. And, we th and that's, I, I thought of this. You know what? It's an example to us, but bottom line, many times we don't claim it. Right? 
We don't claim it, the fact that God's going to equip us. And what we do is we find ways to sort of talk ourselves out of it, come up with excuses of why we can't do things. We think about time. You know what? Time. Man, I just don't have time. You know, I, I mean, I want to spend time in the Word. Don't get me wrong, brother. I mean, dude, I'm all about the Bible. I love the Bible, man. Dude, look, at have you seen the back of my car? It's sitting right in the window, dude. It's sitting right in the dude, right? You go in my house, there's a Bible sitting right on the table. Look by my bed, man. Boom. Bible. How's the reading going? Well, I mean, I mean, dude, I mean, dude, I mean, I love that word, buddy. I love that word. How's the reading going? Yeah, man, I mean, I'm, the Bible's awesome, dude. I mean, I live my life by the Bible, brother. Yes, sir, I do. How's your reading going? Man, I'm telling you what. <laughs> Something else, brother. Have I, should, I just ordered a new Bible. In fact, it's got my name on it, too. Tell to tell you about that. <laughs> How's the reading going? Man, I don't have a lot of time for that. I just, I, I just don't have time, man. You don't understand? My life is busy. I got kids. I got work. I got all these things going on. You just don't understand. I just don't have the time to do it. How's your prayer life? I mean, I get it in, you know. I mean, I get it in there. If you total up for the week, would you say you got a half an hour, an hour? Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I don't keep track that close, but uh, I don't know, right? It's convicting when people ask us that. Because what's happened is we've told ourselves that we don't have time. But what's really cool about time is God will give you the time. And so much of the, we make up these excuses and we decide that we cannot do something and we sell ourselves this lie and then we believe it and then we walk away going, well, it's justified. It's good. God understands. When God's saying, look, I can miraculously work time because guess what? I work outside of time. It doesn't matter. How your bills should not work out when you pay your tithe. Guess what? I'll make it work out. God works in miraculous ways. And the cool thing is we get to see him do those things and then we're like, man, God is good. But what happens is we sell ourselves a bill of goods, we accept it, and then we don't have an opportunity to say God is good. We just say, man, life is hard. You don't realize my circumstances, dude. I got to wait on me every day, and I never can take a breath. I'm under constant pressure. Cast your cares upon me, for I careth for you. Time, talent. Man, I'd love to help out, dude. I mean, I would, I, mean, I, would. I would love to do that. I would love to do it. But you know what? I just don't... I don't really think I'm equipped for that so much. I don't think that's probably not my thing. If God convicts you to do it, guess what? He will equip you to accomplish it. If you feel convicted to do it, step out by faith and do it and watch God equip you, right? Finances, man, I'd love to give, dude, but you don't understand, man. Have you seen my bills? I haven't seen your bills. I don't want to see your bills. But bottom line, God has. And God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, man. He owns everything. Can God rework our finances and make things work out? Amen. Absolutely he can. We, my wife and I are living testament to that. Man, there was a time in our lives, man, we hadn't have nothing for nothing, nothing to scrape against nothing. And it's unbelievable what God has done over the years because what we decided is, you know what? We may not be able to afford to give, but we're going to give anyway. And we're going to be faithful, and God will meet the need and exceed it. And because you know what? If you have the heart of a giver, Guess what? God will give you more so you can give more. If you're stingy and you want to hold on to it, you ain't going to get nothing else. You're done, right? So God, God wants to work in us. Work in us. Luke 18, 27 says this, And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples about salvation. He says, What seems impossible is possible. Luke 1, 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible, Jesus said. He was speaking to Gabriel. This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. She says, how could I have a child? 
With God, nothing is impossible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul writing to the churches in Philippi saying, you know what? You don't understand. God's met my needs. He always takes care of me. The Lord is getting everything ready for this mass exodus. Not only has Moses heard the promises of, delivered to him, um, but he's told Aaron and he's told the children of God back in Exodus 4. He told them about what was going to take place. So he's been speaking of the future, and they're trying to believe him and walk by faith, and they're having a hard time, and so is he, but he's getting better. Verse 4, And Moses said, speaking to Pharaoh, remember he's still in the throne room, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. Remember that each plague has been targeted specifically towards a different deity, a different God, right? We've seen that go all the way through. And this last attack is on Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh was believed to be born of Ra, the sun god. He was supposed to be God incarnate in a form of man on earth. And what happens here is we find that he is powerless. He's going to be brought to his knees. In fact, he's so powerless that he can't even protect his own son. His own son. This final plague will reveal the greatness of God and the powerlessness of Pharaoh. Exodus 4, 21 and 23 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, When... Thou goest to return into Egypt. See that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, and he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Verse 23, And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Noses knows that's what's coming. He's been watching these plagues build up, and he knows the crescendo is the death of the firstborn, these innocent kids. And bottom line is God says, look, this is something you're bringing upon yourself. He knows how bad it's going to get. And with this understanding, listen to how he talks to, 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 to Moses here. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there is none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. He says, you don't understand the destruction that's getting ready to come. You don't understand the despair and the sadness that you're getting ready to suffer. You've played these things off, but I'm telling you, it's getting ready to get extremely real, Pharaoh. It's going to be hard, and you can't imagine how hard it's going to be. Verse 7, But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. While this devastating presence of death is traveling through Egypt, killing the firstborn, the children of Israel are going to be perfectly safe. Not even having to deal with the annoyance of a barking dog. Absolutely protected. Through this, Pharaoh and the Egyptians will see the incredible hand of favor God displays over his people. If you're a child of God today, I want you to know that God displays that same protection, that same favor over us. Amen. God, these are his children. We're his children Right? We become joint heirs with Christ. You become a child of God at the moment you receive Christ. And so what happens is we, we know these things to be true. And we know God's protection, yet we don't live our lives as if we are protected. We live our lives like we're vulnerable and we're under a constant attack that we cannot defend from. And what we'll find out is the fact that bottom line is, guess what? We can walk through life fearless. You can. And we all go, that ah, doesn't seem possible. It is something that we must claim 
Because guess what? God, he says he's with us no matter where we may go. No matter where we may go. Not only is there physical threats in this world, but there are spiritual ones as well. The greatest dangers to humanity are not in the physical world, but in the spiritual. They're not global warming or climate change. They're not overpopulation or world wars or pollution or disease. The real dangers have eternal effects and they have eternal consequences. And we're so worried about the short term. Our world is so focused on the short term. We've got to save the planet, save the planet, save the whales, save the whatever, right? But we're not worried about the people. It's amazing. We were yesterday we were at that walk and we're hearing about millions and millions and millions and millions of lives, over 60 million lives taken in the United States alone, worldwide, over a billion lives taken, innocent lives. And there's no uproar. Somebody goes into a school and God forbid someone does this, but they go and they shoot in a school and they take the lives of two or three or 10 or 20 kids and God, it's a horrible thing. But these children... These innocent children, they never even had a chance to live. And they're snuffed out every day. And it's called choice. It's unbelievable what our society is allowed to take place. And as Christians, many Christians are pro-choice. How can you be? How can you think that there's a sanctity of life and say that it's okay to kill a child? It's an impossibility. You cannot love God and love killing of the innocent. It's an impossibility. But this is a spiritual fight that we're in, 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Fleshly lust. The lure of the enemy is in our flesh. It's in our flesh. We are fighting a spiritual war against evil in our culture. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, you're not fighting against the individual. We're not fighting against the abortionist. We're not fighting against, against the person that's there. We're not fighting against your enemy or your neighbor. We're not fighting against our spouse or our children. We're fighting against the forces that are working behind them. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness. We know who this is of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. Right? We know this to be a truth, yet many times we live our lives not claiming it. We fight the individuals. We fight people all the time. We don't walk by grace. We don't walk in love. We walk in anger and retribution and vengeance. And God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. While at the same time, we are fighting this war on a personal level as well. This is convicting, man. Listen to this. James 4, verses 1 through 10. From whence come wars and fightings among you? James is writing out to the church, okay? This is written to the church. There are wars and fights among you. Come they, not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members, your personal lust, your own desires, what you want. You lust and you have not. You want so much, but you just don't feel fulfilled. You kill and desire to have. Look, I'm willing to do whatever to get me taken care of. I cannot and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. You don't understand. You want so much out of this life. But the thing is, we're drawing from the wrong source. We're looking at the world as, a, as the source that we're going to get what we want from it. And the world will never, ever fulfill us. It will always leave us empty. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. We do what we do what we do to fulfill ourselves. And that's a matter of living life for self. If we do that, we miss out on why we were created. I exist to bring glory to God. You exist to bring glory to God. 
And because we live in our lusts, and because we live in our members, and because we live in our desires, and we just don't, we ask amiss, we go, look, I'm asking God, but you know what? I'm asking for selfish reasons. I'm not asking that God, you may receive God. God, take my life and use it for your glory. No, God, give me what I want. And you know what? If I get what I want and I'm happy, I'm going to give you glory. It's not about being happy. We have to let go of that. God wants you to live a life that's successful, but it's not about your life being happy for your fulfillment. It's about His fulfillment. And if you shift your view away from that, you can go from feeling empty and always wanting more to realizing that He's enough. More than enough. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He's saying, you unfaithful believers. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is an enmity with God? Do you not realize that the more you cling to the world, the more you push away from me? Do you not see this? The successes that you want in the eyes of men and women, and you want the accolades of man, but you don't care about mine? How can you do that to me? Do you not realize what I've done? How far I was willing to go for you? He's talking to save people, man. He's not talking to the lost. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He says, literally, you can turn your back on me. and You can treat me like someone that you hate because of the fact that you fall in love with things that are not about me. And we can spend our lives trying to find some kind of satisfaction from the things of this world. It doesn't matter how hard you try and how successful you are. Because guess what? The void will always be there. We've got to fill it with a relationship of trust and of faith and of love of the one who truly loves us. This world does not love us. It wants to use us. It says, do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? It says, do you think it's just a joke? You think it's just, it's in there for just for words? That the thing that's inside of you desperately wants what other people want? I, I was talking to a gentleman the other day and he said, he said they had, had goats and in their goat, they had these goats, they had this field. And he said, man, he said, we would take care of this field so well. He said, we fertilized it. We took such great, amazing care of it. We had these goats, man. And they would stay in the field. And our grass was so green. It was unbelievable. And our neighbor did not take care of it. It was garbage grass. It was just terrible weeds. And it was nasty and yellow and dry. And he said, would you know those goats would stand in the deep grass, stick their heads to the fence, and eat that garbage? We always want what we cannot have. That spirit of envy is in us. And if we fall prey to it, guess what? We'll always be looking at the neighbor going, you know what? They got better than me. Well, I, you know, my car, man, that, that really car's way better than mine. Man, I, I like their house way better than mine. We never satisfied. We're always wanting more. Amen. But he giveth more grace. Look at this. Even though that's who we are. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The humble, man, that's who we're supposed to be. And then we see this verse. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One of those things we want to claim, man. But look at the qualifiers before that. What does it mean to submit? That means not to be fallen after the world, not to find and fulfill myself through the things of the world, not try to look at the accolades of men, but trust in God and say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to humble myself before you. And if I'll do that and be humble, I will submit myself, therefore, to you. And that devil that used to have such a reign in my life and used to beat me up every day and used to wail on me and drag me down and make me feel depressed and, just, and, and oppressed and broken, 
He has no power over me anymore. It says he's going to flee from me. He's going to run away from me in fear because I guess what? I'm become a threat to him instead of a target, instead of a lure to him. Because guess what? When we're, not, when we're not living for God, boy, oh boy, we put out the flares and we start, hey, devil, you looking for a target? Got one over here. Ready and willing to be slammed, man. Rip me to shreds. He says, and then check this out. Verse number eight, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Take your eyes off the world. Quit trying to fulfill yourself from the things of this world. Fall in love with me. Focus on one thing, double-minded. No, say be single-minded on God. Love me with all your heart and guess what I will do? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. What he's saying there is, look, you know what? The things that you used to laugh about and you didn't take, think, take seriously, I want you to be mournful over those things. I want you to look at yourself and say, you know what, God? I've been wrong. The focus that I've been is wrong. And I'm going to be I'm afflicted by it. I mourn over it. I weep over the fact of the person that I've been. I've been seeking the world and not seeking you. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Realize that when you used to think was a big joke, your walk with God needs to be serious. And if you'll take it seriously, watch what will happen. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Thankfully, in these fights, globally and personally, the Lord is with us. Second Thessalonians, sorry, that was a hard one. 3.3 three says this, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You know, while this is a wonderful truth, personal responsibility is also a part of this. We saw this in the scripture. He's saying, look, you need to work on you, work on you, work on you, work on you. We'll see the importance of faithfulness, right? As God's going to give them instructions on what they must do to be protected from this plague. It's not just a blanket thing. He's then going to give them specific instructions that if they're faithful, they will be protected. But if they're unfaithful, they will not be. With us and God, there's always a level of personal responsibility on our part. Remember, it's our walk, not his walk. You and I have to choose to walk in the Spirit of God. He's not going to force us to do it. He's going to be walking with us. He says no matter where we go, he'll always be with us. He'll never, never leave us, never forsake us. He'll help us to succeed. And if we'll humble ourselves, guys, he says he'll lift us up. So he'll help us to do it, but we've got to be surrendered to him. Now, the results of this horrible judgment will be a broken nation and a broken Pharaoh. In verse number 8, And all these thy servants shall come down unto me. Check this out. And all these thy servants, they shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me. Moses is saying this, saying, Pharaoh, he says, saying, get thee out. They're going to look. Your people are going to come to us. And they're going to look. You guys need to just get out of here. And all the people that follow thee, Moses, you leave, Aaron, you leave and take all these folks with you. Take the Israelites and y'all leave. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And that's interesting there. It says that when Moses walks away from Pharaoh, that he's angry. He's frustrated. He's irritated. But what happens is because Moses is a human just like you and I are. And he's frustrated with this situation. He's frustrated with this man. He's going, look, I know what's getting ready to happen, and you're going to let it happen. You're going to allow the firstborn to die. You stubborn idiot. It's got to be what he's thinking. I know if I was him, I'd be like, man, Pharaoh, slap, slap. I mean, just wake up, dude. Right? Wake up. What's your problem? You're willing to risk everything. And amidst in this emotional moment, Moses is going through. God reminds him of the bigger picture. Look at this in verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. That word that, remember that word keeps popping up again and again and again and again. That. He says, Pharaoh shall not hearken to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land 
of Egypt. Pharaoh's hardened heart was an instrumental part of the Lord's plan. God is reminding Moses not to get caught up in the emotions. He's going, look, don't get caught up in the emotions. I know you're frustrated. I know you're upset. I know you're the one down there physically in the midst of all this stuff and all these things going on around you. And you're looking at the circumstances and you're feeling overwhelmed by it. But remember, I'm in control. Remember back on the mountain that I told you this was going to happen. And I've also told you what the result's going to be. I've already told you you're going to walk. I've already told you that I'm going to be with you through every part of it. And there's a purpose to what we're going through. Verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Notice it says would not. It does not say could not. God did not stop him. He simply did not intervene to change his heart. He allowed him to stay on the path that he was. Pharaoh will not give up easily. Remember that Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. His land, or Egypt, is a picture of the world, of sin. The Israelites are a picture of the individual believer. And Moses is a picture of Jesus Christ, the deliverer. As we look into the, the devotional, or the, uh, the uh, doctrinal aspect of this message. With this understanding, we can see how Satan is desperate to keep believers in the world of sin. He knows that while he has them in the world, that he can maintain control over them as they're slaves to sin. You and I struggle with our flesh every day. And if he can get us bound into our flesh and get us controlled by sin, living in sense of regret, right? Feeling, feeling broken, feeling like we've disappointed God, right? If he can get us into those emotions, he can control us, right? He holds us down keeps us right where you are, and he tries to grind you into the ground. You ever notice when you feel bad about yourself, things tend to pile up on you? Because guess what? Satan has no mercy. It's not a trait that even exists inside of him. He is the epitome of merciless. So if you're down, he wants you to be down. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So if you're depressed, he wants you to be more depressed. If you're sad, he wants you to be broken. And he will do all that he can to bring you crying to your knees and giving up on God. And yet, in the midst of this sinful world, God sent a messenger to put Satan on notice and deliver believers from this sinful world. <laughs> Doctrinally speaking, this is reaching out to the church. This is talking to you and I as believers. It's talking about a believer being caught up in sin living in a world that's controlling them because they've allowed it to rule them. And there's a taskmaster that wants to destroy them. And until this deliverer comes and they're willing to follow that deliverer, they will stay in the midst of that sin. And that's what you and I are living in. We live in a world of sin. And if we would compel ourselves to live in that world and we, and we apply it to our hearts and we make it something that's important to us and we want to get the, 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 the accolades of the world, well, now what we're doing is we're giving that world control over us. And he says, you're supposed to come out. Come out from among them, saith the Lord. Come out from among them. This is the spiritual war that we mentioned earlier, and it's raging like never before. Not only in our culture and our world, but in the hearts of believers all over this planet as people struggle with sin. Greed, lust, anger, envy, idolatry. People go, man, idolatry, that's ridiculous. Idolatry just simply means that you put something above God. Right? So if, let's say you love racing cars. 
You know, you spend all your money building a car. And you build this supercar. And they go, hey, man, you know what? Races are on Sunday. And you go, great. Man, I'll be there. Dude, what time? 11 o'clock. No problem. I'll be there. Guess, guess what? Just got an idol. Just got an idol. Because it just said, you know what? This is more important. God, I know you're important, but this is more important. And we have a tendency to do this in our lives. We take things that are, that are of the world, and we go, you know what? That has so much value to me that I'm willing to sell everything out because that right there is number one in my life. Our actions speak what our heart is saying. People say, I love God, I love God, I love God, and all of a sudden they're out of church for two, three, four weeks. Where you been? Oh, man, you know what? I had this amazing opportunity. It was just great. I had to do this. I had to do this. And all of a sudden, what happens? Now, if you've got to be after work and something you can't control, there's nothing you can do about that. But there are things when we can make choices. And what happens is we choose poorly. And who takes the black eye? God. Because the people that we see, that we influence, that are around us when we go to that event or whatever it is we're doing, right? Those people, they're going, oh, you're here. Okay. I guess church isn't as important as I thought it was. It's when we miss that it makes, a, it makes a statement. It's when they go, you know, I want you to be here. You know, your, your kid's got a ball game. Yeah, great. You know, I tell you what, we're not going to be able to make it. Why? It's on Sunday, man. <laughs> Our relationship with God is way more important than some silly sport. I don't care if they're the greatest athlete in the world. This is what takes priority in our life. And in doing so, we give glory to God. When we go to the event and we fall prey, guess what? We're looking for the accolades of the world. We see in this individual believers in regards of depression and behaviors, drug use, suicide, broken marriages, unrest in the church, a lack of unity, and Christians that are just flat complacent. They've lost sight, right? They've lost that first love, that relationship with God that they had at one point in time when they got saved, man. I've been through it. When I got saved, man, I was on fire for the Lord. I was so excited. I could not stop talking about him. People are like, whoa, 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 okay. All right, Jesus, freak back off, man. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. And they're like, hey, okay, I don't want any more. You know, I mean, I couldn't help it, right? It's just coming out. I just, oh, I'm so excited. Right? And what happens over time is the world goes, yeah, that's a little bit, of, that's a little extreme. And people start giving you advice on the outside. Yeah, I think you might pull you. I mean, you don't want to burn out, man. I mean, you got to pace yourself, brother. Pace, you could sit back off a little bit, you know? So, you know, just, you know, lie yourself, just, you know, soak up life, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And what happens is it changes your heart a little bit. And every period of time, you aren't quite on fire like you were. And you have an opportunity to speak to somebody where you used to be like, oh, man, I can't wait for them to just look this way. Oh, man, I'm going to be on him. <laughs> look my way, brother. I'm coming. Right? Now we're like, I hope he doesn't look this way. Be a lot of, I, got, I got some stuff out here. You know, and I really wanted to go to the store. That's going to slow me down. Godly, I could get into a conversation for 30 minutes. I really don't. That'll, and then I won't be able to go to the gym. That's going to mess everything up. I'm just going <clears> to. <throat> right? Your heart changes. Because the world gets in here and it changes us. We have to be so careful. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 5 says this, And you hath equipped who were dead in trespasses and sin. God brought you to life. You were dead 
in your sin, in your trespass, the old person that you were, God came into your life. He quickened you. He made you alive through the Spirit of God, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that Satan himself, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What you see in the world around you and all this stuff that's taken place, that was the very one that you used to serve. That's the one you used to follow. That's the one you used to live for. Among whom also we all have conversation in times past. When it talks about conversation, it doesn't mean what you say. Here it's talking about your life, the life that you live, your conversation is your life speaks in times past. And the lusts of our flesh, this is talking about who we were, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath even as others. Man, we were right in the thick of that. That's who we were prior to salvation. But God, look at this, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, when we're undeserving, hath quickened us together with Christ, man. He says, seeing you in the midst of your sin and your wickedness and this heart that's so hard and broken, He's like, I love you in that moment, and I will quicken you. If you'll turn to me, we'll have a relationship with Christ. And you become my child. By grace are you saved. By grace are you saved. In our story, we've seen Pharaoh squander his last chance to avoid the horrible judgment that will bring brought down upon him because of arrogance and pride. These are the two traits that separate humanity from God. Arrogance and pride. Will we be like Pharaoh and stubbornly resist God in our flesh? Or will we do what it says in James 4? And it said this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. <laughs> if you're a believer living outside of the will of God today or perhaps you've never received him, maybe he's not your savior. None of us are promised tomorrow. So do we keep living in disobedience to our loving God? who's waiting on us with open arms? Or do we make things right with our loving God and turn to Him today? God, God brought us here for a purpose. This message is timed out just the way it is for a purpose. I don't know who it's for. I know it spoke to me. I want to refine my life with the Lord. i got to look at the things of this world that are trying to work its way in and trying to distract me from the relationship with God that I'm supposed to live and supposed to love Him, Right? Do I love him or do I love the world? What's important to me? What do I evaluate myself? Where do I focus my attention, my time, and the energy? What do I put in this mind? What do I put in this heart? We have to spend time and energy to focus upon who he really is to us. Because you know the whole thing is? None of us know when our last day is, right? This could be the very last service of Hope Baptist Church in history. This could be it. And God's saying, look, are you going to take advantage of it? Are you going to be like Pharaoh and squander the last chance? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the message you've given us today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from your word. And God, as we're here today, I know that you have spoken to me. 
And Lord, I don't want to squander potentially the last chance to live a life, Lord, that can truly honor you. Help me, help us to look within. Help us to check our hearts. Help us to evaluate where it is we stand with you and what our walk is like. And help us, Lord, to get rid of those things, to purify our hearts, to wash our hearts. God, to turn over these things of the world that seem so important into your hands. God, I pray that you'll guide us through this process. Thank you, Lord, that you will lift us up if we will humble ourselves before you. God, this life is not about us. It's all about you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, here on the internet, wherever you are, and you say, you know, I don't have a relationship with God like I, th- I thought I did. I believe in God, and it's good to believe in God. Don't get me wrong. But believing in God will not get you into heaven. It will not create a relationship with God that you were designed to have. It will not give you the peace and the love and the joy and the ability to honor Him with a life that's about Him and not about us. If you're here today and you say, I've never received Christ as my Savior. I've never made a conscious choice to pray and ask Him to come into my heart by faith then guess what? He wants that relationship with you. He wants to quicken you. That's an old English word that means come to life. He wants you to be quickened through the spirit that you can possess inside of your heart. He loves you right where you are, and he wants to receive you as his savior, as your, receive you as his child, and him as your savior. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you want to call out to God by faith, and you want to receive that gift of salvation, It's a simple thing to do. It doesn't require a ceremony or anything special. It's just a matter of a heart that's broken before God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray in your heart, in your mind, if you want to receive this gift from God, and He will give it to you. It's a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for the life that I've lived and the choices that I've made. I've hurt myself, I've hurt others, and I've hurt you, and I'm so sorry. I ask you by faith to come into my heart, to save my soul, and God, to give me a home in heaven. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose on the third day and proved you were God. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. By faith, give me that life eternal. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.